Chapter Nineteen of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc, translated by Edgar Jepson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen: The Duke Goes. When Gerchard joined the Duke in the drawing room, he had lost his calm air and was looking more than a little nervous. He moved about the room uneasily, fingering the bric-a-brac, glancing at the Duke, and looking quickly away from him again. Then he came to a standstill on the hearth-rug, with his back to the fireplace. "'Do you think it's quite safe to stand there, at least with your back to the hearth? If Lupin dropped through that opening suddenly, he'd catch you from behind before you could wink twice,' said the Duke, in a tone of remonstrance. "'There would always be your grace to come to my rescue,' said Gershah, and there was an ambiguous note in his voice while his piercing eyes now rested fixed on the duke's face. They seemed never to leave it. They explored and explored it. "'It's only a suggestion,' said the duke. "'This is rather nervous work, don't you know?' "'Yes, and of course you're hardly fit for it,' said Gershah. "'If I'd known about your breakdown in your car last night, I should have hesitated about asking you. "'A breakdown?' interrupted the duke. Yes, you left Shamhas at eight o'clock last night, and you only reached Paris at six this morning. You couldn't have had a very high-power car, said Gershah. I had a hundred HP car, said the duke. Then you must have had a devil of a breakdown, said Gershah. Yes, it was pretty bad, but I've known worse, said the duke carelessly. It lost me about three hours, oh, at least three hours, I'm not a first-class repairer, though I know as much about an engine as most motorists. And there was nobody there to help you repair it? said Gershah. No, Monsieur Gournay Martin could not let me have his chauffeur to drive me to Paris, because he was keeping him to help guard the chateau. And, of course, there was nobody on the road, because it was two o'clock in the morning. Yes, there was no one, said Gershah slowly. Not a soul, said the Duke. It was unfortunate, said Gershah, and there was a note of incredulity in his voice. My having to repair the car myself, said the Duke. Yes, of course, said Gershah, hesitating a little over the ascent. The Duke dropped the end of his cigarette into a tray and took out his case. He held it out towards Gershah and said, A cigarette? Or perhaps you prefer your copperol? Yes, I do. But all the same, I'll have one, said Gershah, coming quickly across the room. And he took a cigarette from the case and looked at it. All the same, all this is very curious, he said in a new tone, a challenging, menacing, accusing tone. What? said the Duke, looking at him curiously. Everything. Your cigarettes, the solias the photograph that Bonavent found in Victoire's prayer-book, that man in motoring dress, and finally, your breakdown, said Gershah, and the accusation and the threat rang clearer. The Duke rose from his chair quickly and said haughtily in icy tones, Monsieur Gershah, you've been drinking. He went to the chair on which he had set his overcoat and his hat, and picked them up. Gershah sprang in front of him, barring his way, 
and cried in a shaky voice, No, don't go. You mustn't go. What, what do you mean? said the duke and paused. What do you mean? Guéchat stepped back and ran his hand over his forehead. He was very pale, and his forehead was clammy to his touch. No, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon, your grace. I must be going mad, he stammered. It looks very like it, said the duke coldly. What I mean to say is, said Guéchat, in a halting, uncertain voice, what I mean to say is, help me. I want you to stay here, to help me against Lupin. You understand. Will you, your grace? Yes, certainly. Of course I will, if you want me to, said the duke, in a more gentle voice. But you seem awfully upset, and you're upsetting me too. We shan't have a nerve between us soon, if you don't pull yourself together. Yes, yes, please excuse me, muttered Guerchat. Very good, said the duke. But what is it we're going to do? Guerchat hesitated. He pulled out his handkerchief and mopped his forehead. Well, the coronet, is it in this case? He said in a shaky voice, and set the case on the table. Of course it is, said the duke impatiently. Guerchat opened the case, and the coronet sparkled and gleamed brightly in the electric light. Yes, it is there. You see it? said Guerchat. Yes, I see it. Well, said the duke, looking at him in some bewilderment, so unlike himself did he seem. We're going to wait, said Guerchat. What for? said the duke. Lupin, said Guerchat. Lupin? And you actually do believe that, just as in a fairy tale, when the clock strikes twelve, Lupin will enter and take the coronet? Yes, I do. I do said Guerchat with stubborn conviction, and he snapped the case too. "'This is most exciting,' said the duke. "'You're sure it doesn't bore you?' said Guerchat huskily. "'Not a bit of it,' said the duke, with cheerful derision. "'To make the acquaintance of this scoundrel who has fooled you for ten years is as charming a way of spending the evening as I can think of.' "'You say that to me?' said Guerchat with a touch of temper. "'Yes,' said the duke the challenging smile, to you. He sat down in an easy chair by the table. Guerchat sat down in a chair on the other side of it, and set his elbows on it. They were silent. Suddenly the duke said, Somebody's coming. Guerchat started and said, No, I don't hear anyone. Then there came distinctly the sound of a footstep and a knock at the door. You've got keener ears than I said Guerchat grudgingly. In all this business, you've shown the qualities of a very promising detective. He rose, went to the door, and unlocked it. Bonavant came in. I've brought you the handcuffs, sir, he said, holding them out. Shall I stay with you? No, said Guerchat. You've two men at the back door and two at the front, and a man in every room on the ground floor. Yes, and I've got three men on every other floor, said Bonavant, in a tone of satisfaction. In the house next door, said Guerchat. There are a dozen men in it, said Bonavin. No communication between the two houses is possible any longer. Guerchat watched the Duke's face with intent eyes. Not a shadow flickered its careless serenity. 
If anyone tries to enter the house, color him. If need be, fire on him, said Gershach firmly. That is my order. Go and tell the others. Very good, sir, said Bonavent, and he went out of the room. By Jove, we are in a regular fortress, said the duke. It's even more of a fortress than you think, your grace. I have four men on that landing, said Gershach, nodding towards the door. Oh, have you? said the duke, with a sudden air of annoyance. You don't like that? said Gershach quickly. I should jolly well think not, said the duke. With these precautions, Lupin will never be able to get into this room at all. He'll find it a pretty hard job, said Gershach, smiling. Unless he falls from the ceiling, or unless... Unless you are Arsène Lupin, interrupted the duke. In that case, you'd be another, your grace, said Gershach. They both laughed. The duke rose, yawned, picked up his coat and hat, and said, Ah, well, I'm off to bed. What? said Gershach. Well, said the duke, yawning again, I was staying to see Lupin, as there's no longer any chance of seeing him. But there is, there is, so stay, cried Gershach. Do you still cling to that notion? said the duke wearily. We shall see him, said Gershach. Nonsense, said the duke. Gershach lowered his voice and said with an air of the deepest secrecy, He's already here, your grace. Lupin, here? cried the duke. Yes, Lupin, said Gershach. Where? cried the astonished duke. He is, said Gershach. As one of your men? said the duke eagerly. I don't think so said Gershah, watching him closely. Well, but, well, but, if he's here, we've got him. He's going to turn up, said the duke triumphantly, and he set down his hat on the table beside the coronet. I hope so, said Gershah. But will he dare to? How do you mean? said the duke with a puzzled air. Well, you have said yourself that this is a fortress. An hour ago, perhaps, Lupin was resolved to enter this room. But is he now? Oh, I see what you mean, said the duke, in a tone of disappointment. Yes, you see that now he needs the devil's own courage. He must risk everything to gain everything, and throw off the mask. Is Lupin going to throw himself into the wolf's jaws? I dare not think it. What do you think about it? Gershah's husky voice had hardened to a rough harshness. There was a ring of acute anxiety in it, and under the anxiety a faint note of challenge, of a challenge that dare not make itself too distinct. His anxious, challenging eyes burned on the face of the duke, as if they strove with all intensity to pierce a mask. The duke looked at him curiously, as if he were trying to divine what he would be at, but with a careless curiosity, as if it were a matter of indifference to him what the detective's object was. Then he said carelessly, Well, you ought to know better than I. You have known him for ten years. He paused, and added with just the faintest stress in his tone, At least by reputation. The anxiety in the detective's face grew plainer, it almost gave him the air of being unnerved, and he said quickly, in a jerky voice, Yes, and I know his way of acting, too. 
during the last ten years i have learned to unravel his intrigues to understand and anticipate his maneuvers oh his is a clever system instead of lying low as you'd expect he attacks his opponent openly he confuses him at least he tries to he smiled a half confident a half doubtful smile it is a mess of entangled mysterious combinations i've been caught in them myself again and again you smile it interests me so said the duke in a tone of apology oh it interests me said guerchard with a snarl but this time i see my way clearly no more tricks no more secret paths we're fighting in the light of day he paused and said in a clear sneering voice lupin has pluck perhaps but it's only thief's pluck oh is it said the duke sharply and there was a sudden faint glitter in his eyes yes rogues have very poor qualities sneered guerchard one can't have everything said the duke quietly but his languid air had fallen from him their ambushes their attacks their fine tactics aren't up to much said guerchard smiling contemptuously you go a trifle too far i think said the duke smiling with equal contempt they looked one another in the eyes with a long lingering look they had suddenly the air of fencers who have lost their tempers and are twisting the buttons off their foils not a bit of it your grace said guerchard and his voice lingered on the words your grace with a contemptuous stress this famous lupin is immensely overrated however he has done some things which aren't half bad said the duke with his old charming smile he had the air of a duelist drawing his blade lovingly through his fingers before he falls to oh has he said guerchard scornfully yes one must be fair last night's burglary for instance it is not unheard of but it wasn't half bad and that theft of the motor-cars it was a neat piece of work said the duke in a gentle insolent voice infinitely aggravating guerchard snorted scornfully and a robbery at the british embassy another at the treasury and a third at monsieur lepin's all in the same week it wasn't half bad don't you know said the duke in the same gentle irritating voice oh no it wasn't but and the time when he contrived to pass his guerchard the great guerchard do you remember that the duke interrupted come come to give the devil his due between ourselves it wasn't half bad no said guerchard but he has done better than that lately why don't you speak of it of what said the duke of the time when he passed as the duke of chamras snapped guerchard what did he do that cried the duke and then he added slowly but you know i'm like you i'm so easy to imitate what would have been amusing your grace would have been to get as far as actual marriage said guerchard more calmly oh if he had wanted to said the duke and he threw out his hands but you know married life for lupin a large fortune a pretty girl 
said Gershaw in a mocking tone. He must be in love with someone else, said the Duke. A thief, perhaps, sneered Gershaw. Like himself. And then, if you wish to know what I think, he must have found his fiancée rather trying, said the Duke, with his charming smile. After all, it's pitiful, heart-rending, you must admit it, that on the very eve of his marriage he was such a fool as to throw off the mask. And yet, at bottom, it's quite logical. It's Lupin coming out through Chamras. He had to grab at the dowry at the risk of losing the girl, said Gershaw, in a reflective tone. But his eyes were intent on the face of the Duke. Perhaps that's what one should call a marriage of reason, said the Duke, with a faint smile. What a fall, said Gershaw, in a taunting voice. To be expected eagerly at the princess's tomorrow evening, and to pass the evening in a police station, to have intended in a month's time, as the Duke of Chamras, to mount the steps of the Madeleine with all pomp, and to follow down the father-in-law's staircase this evening, this very evening. His voice rose suddenly on a note of savage triumph. With the handcuffs on. What? Is that a good enough revenge for Gershaw? For the poor old idiot Gershaw? The rogue's brumel in a convict's cap. The gentleman burglar in a jail. For Lupin, it's only a trifling annoyance. But for a duke, it's a disaster. Come in your turn, be frank. Don't you find that amusing? The duke rose quietly and said coldly, Have you finished? Do you? cried Gershaw, and he rose and faced him. Oh, yes, I find it quite amusing, said the duke lightly. And so do I, cried Gershaw. No, you were frightened, said the duke calmly. Frightened, cried Gershaw with a savage laugh. Yes, you're frightened, said the duke. And don't think, policeman, that because I'm familiar with you I throw off a mask. I don't wear one. I've none to throw off. I am the Duke of Chambras. You lie. You escaped from the Santé four years ago. You are Lupin. I recognize you now. Prove it, said the Duke scornfully. I will, cried Gershaw. You won't. I am the Duke of Chambras. Gershaw laughed wildly. Don't laugh. You know nothing, nothing, dear boy, said the Duke tauntingly. Dear boy, cried Gershaw triumphantly, as if the word had been a confession. What do I risk, said the Duke, with scathing contempt? Can you arrest me? You can arrest Lupin. But arrest the Duke of Chambras, an honorable gentleman, member of the jockey club and of the union, residing at his house, 34B University Street. Arrest the Duke of Chambras, the fiancé of Mademoiselle Gournay-Martin? Scoundrel, cried Gershaw, pale with sudden, helpless fury. Well, do it, taunted the Duke. Be an ass. Make yourself the laughing-stock of Paris. Call your coppers in. Have you a proof? One single proof? Not one. Oh, I shall get them, howled Gershaw beside himself. I think you may, said the Duke coolly, and you might be able to arrest me next week, the day after tomorrow, perhaps. 
perhaps never. But not tonight, that's certain. Oh, if only somebody could hear you, gasped Gershaw. Now, don't excite yourself, said the Duke. That won't produce any proofs for you. The fact is, Monsieur Formahie told you the truth when he said that when it is a case of Lupin, you lose your head. Ha, ah, that Formahie. There is an intelligent man, if you like. At all events, the coronet is safe tonight. Wait, my good chap, wait, said the Duke slowly, and then he snapped out. Do you know what's behind that door? And he flung out his hand towards the door of the inner drawing-room, with a mysterious, sinister air. What? cried Gershaw, and he whipped round and faced the door, with his eyes starting out of his head. Get out, you funk, said the Duke, with a great laugh. Hang you! said Gershaw shrilly. "'I said that you were going to be absolutely pitiable,' said the Duke, and he laughed again cruelly. "'Oh, go on talking, do!' cried Gershaw, mopping his forehead. "'Absolutely pitiable,' said the Duke, with a cold, disquieting certainty. "'As the hand of that clock moves nearer and nearer midnight, you will grow more and more terrified.' He paused and then shouted violently, Attention! Gershaw jumped, and then he swore. Your nerves are on edge, said the Duke, laughing. Joker, snarled Gershaw. Oh, you're as brave as the next man. But who can stand the anguish of the unknown thing which is bound to happen? I'm right. You feel it. You're sure of it. At the end of these few fixed minutes, an inevitable, fated event must happen. Don't shrug your shoulders, man. You're green with fear. The Duke was no longer a smiling, cynical dandy. There emanated from him an impression of vivid, terrible force. His voice had deepened. It thrilled with a consciousness of irresistible power. It was overwhelming, paralyzing. His eyes were terrible. My men are outside. I'm armed, stammered Gershaw. Child, bear in mind, bear in mind that it is always when you have foreseen everything, arranged everything, made every combination. Bear in mind that it is always then that some accident dashes your whole structure to the ground, said the Duke, in the same deep, thrilling voice. Remember that it is always at the very moment at which you are going to triumph that he beats you, that he only lets you reach the top of the ladder to throw you more easily to the ground. Confess then that you are Lupin, muttered Gershaw. I thought you were sure of it, said the Duke in a jeering tone. Gershaw dragged the handcuffs out of his pocket and sat between his teeth. I don't know what prevents me, my boy. The Duke drew himself up and said haughtily, That's enough. What? cried Gershaw. I say that that's enough, said the Duke sternly. It's all very well for me to play at being familiar with you, but you don't call me my boy. Oh, you won't impose on me much longer, muttered Gershaw, and his bloodshot, haggard eyes scanned the Duke's face in an agony an anguish of doubting impotence. If I'm Lupin, arrest me, said the Duke. 
I will arrest you in three minutes from now, or the coronet will be untouched, cried Gershah in a firmer tone. In three minutes from now, the coronet will have been stolen, and you will not arrest me, said the duke in a tone of chilling certainty. But I will, I swear I will, cried Gershah. Don't swear any foolish oaths. There are only two minutes left, said the duke, and he drew a revolver from his pocket. No, you don't, cried Gershah, drawing a revolver in his turn. What's the matter? said the duke, with an air of surprise. You haven't forbidden me to shoot Lupin. I have my revolver ready, since he's going to come. There's only a minute left. There are plenty of us said Gershah, and he went towards the door. Funk, said the duke scornfully. Gershah turned sharply. Very well, he said. I'll stick it out alone. How rash, sneered the duke. Gershah ground his teeth. He was panting. His bloodshot eyes rolled in their sockets. The beads of cold sweat stood out on his forehead. He came back towards the table, on unsteady feet, trembling from head to foot, in the last excitation of the nerves. He kept jerking his head to shake away the mist which kept dimming his eyes. At your slightest gesture, at your slightest movement, I'll fire, he said jerkily, and covered the duke with his revolver. I call myself the Duke of Shamhas. You will be arrested tomorrow, said the duke, in a compelling, thrilling voice. I don't care a curse, cried Yasha. Only fifty seconds, said the duke. Yes, yes, muttered Yasha huskily, and his eyes shot from the coronet to the duke, from the duke to the coronet. In fifty seconds, the coronet will be stolen, said the duke. No, cried Yasha furiously. Yes, said the duke coldly. No, 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 cried Yasha. Their eyes turned to the clock. To Gershah, the hands seemed to be standing still. He could have sworn at them for their slowness. Then the first stroke rang out, and the eyes of the two men met like crossing blades. Twice the duke made the slightest movement. Twice Gershah started forward to meet it. At the last stroke, both their hands shot out. Gershah fell heavily on the case which held the coronet. The duke fell on the brim of his hat, and he picked it up. Gershah gasped and choked. Then he cried triumphantly, I have it. Now then, have I won? Have I been fooled this time? Has Lupin got the coronet? It doesn't look like it. But are you quite sure? Said the duke gaily. Sure? Cried Gershah. It's only the weight of it, said the duke, repressing a laugh. Doesn't it strike you that it's just a trifle light? What? Cried Gershah. This is merely an imitation said the duke with a gentle laugh. Hell and damnation, howled Gershah. Bon avant, dieu The door flew open, and half a dozen detectives rushed in. Gershah sank into a chair, stupefied, paralyzed. This blow on the top of the strain of the struggle with the duke had broken him. Gentlemen, said the duke sadly, the coronet has been stolen. They broke into cries of surprise and bewilderment, surrounding the gasping Gershah with excited questions. The duke walked quietly out of the room. 
Gershaw sobbed twice. His eyes opened, and in a dazed fashion wandered from face to face. He said faintly, Where is he? Where's who? said Bonavent. The Duke, the Duke, gasped Gershaw. Why, he's gone, said Bonavent. Gershaw staggered to his feet and cried hoarsely, frantically, Stop him from leaving the house. Follow him. Arrest him. Catch him before he gets home. End of chapter 19